Clubhouse? Uh, I'm not so sure. Anyway, I'll just send you some top uh, Japanese okay. artists, but I'm not sure whether they're on Clubhouse, though. Okay, okay. One more and minute. maybe Tomoko as well. Maybe Tomoko, if there's some clubs in Clubhouse that do with NFT or Japanese artists, that would be awesome. Okay, here comes, we'll start a little bit early today, but this is what you hear when the, as you approach the train and it's the about to- are closing. Yeah, they, they have this adorable music to let you know the doors are closing and it goes something like this. Uh, and we'll do it right on time as we're, we, we're supposed to leave Start the start, start <laughs> tech news just like a like a Tokyo train leaving on time. So here it goes, it goes like this. Okay, on top of that. <laughs> and when those bells go at the end, Run! that's Yamanote. That's that's the Yamanote state yeah line and Love it. including Shibuya Station. And so when those bells ring at the end, that's when the doors actually start closing. Run. Yeah, you ha you, that tells you you have to start running to jump into the train. Yeah, uh, it's, it's one of the joys of living in Tokyo. So I just adore that sound. I could play that a thousand times over and over. Um, so thank you for sending that, Cheryl. Put a big smile on my face. Happy Friday to everybody. Let's jump into the big headline news at this very moment. The train is leaving on time, Tokyo style. And the biggest news item at this very moment, well, let's, let's hold it and see, is there something, is there anyone, is there something somebody saw that they're absolutely burning with? We got Froz and Ken, a whole bunch of people coming in and need to raise their hand. Um, so, no, nobody's burning with something crazy hot, spicy they need to jump into right away? Okay. So the top news story at this very moment is uh, security experts voice privacy concerns over Apple's new plan to scan users' devices for child abuse images. It was the story yesterday that we read where Apple announced, um, Apple says in the next couple of months, it will begin scanning photos. We, we had a headline yesterday. One of the top news stories yesterday is, is the source of the new top headline today. And you'll understand why this is kind of funny because the the story yesterday this was like the third or fourth or fifth biggest story let me let me start by reading yesterday's story which was apple says in the next couple of months it will begin scanning photos on ios 15 which you'll download in 3 weeks and update your your phone and on and on mac os so on your laptops and on your on your mobile devices uh, in the us for no they're going to scan your devices for known child abuse images like uh, child pornography and all of these things. They're building a database of all of the stuff. And they're going to scan your devices, both the device and in the cloud. And so the biggest headline today is from the Financial Times saying, security experts voice privacy concerns over Apple's new plan to scan users' devices for child abuse images, saying governments will likely increase its scope. Security researchers raise alarms over potential surveillance of personal devices. That's the headline, the, the biggest story here. And it's uh, the Financial Times is paywalled, but it's being covered by everybody. And my goodness, it's an un, unbelievable number of tweets uh, on, in the Twitter sphere about this article. And from The Verge, it says a new hashtag system will be limited to images on iCloud photos. And... Um, yeah, Apple does not learn anything about images that do not match the known database. So if the images that you have that are not in the 
database is not touched with Apple's claiming basically. Apple can't access metadata or visual derivatives for matched uh, CSAM images until a threshold of matches is exceeded for an iCloud photos account. The risk of the system incorrectly flagging an account is extremely low. In addition, Apple manually reviews all reports made to ensure reporting accuracy. Users can't access or review the database of known images. Users can't identify which images were flagged as flagged by the system. So what do people think of Apple scanning your photos to see if you have what they call, uh, what's the word they use? Um, Apple's new plan, child abuse. It's related to hash, right? Yeah. Well, the, the database that they use is kind of the metadata of the image, essentially. So um, they're able to, in a data kind of way, scan for matches the fingerprint of the image, not the actual image. They don't need to see the actual image. They can see the data behind the image, so to speak. So hey, Tyler, can yes. we poke in uh, Charles? He's uh, pinging me too. Oh, sure. Sorry. Sorry. So for those, yeah, for all the you're the regulars who like to jump up on stage. Hands up in the air. Yeah, you got, oh, Aaron Battalion's in the room. Aaron. Welcome back, man. He, he, I know it's late uh, in California or where you might be in the U.S. So um, we're, we're going through the top headline news at the moment. The biggest story at the very moment on the Twitter sphere is the about this. Apple yesterday had the announcement that they will be in the new version of iOS 15 and Mac OS Monterey. They're going to do photo scanning, searching for child, known child abuse images, kind of making this hash database. And now the top story today, 24 hours later, is from the Financial Times and the Virgin, where everyone's reporting security experts voice privacy concerns over Apple's new plan to scan users' devices for child abuse images, saying governments will likely increase its scope. So that, because <clears throat> the governments have a, uh, essentially a backdoor into Apple and Microsoft and Google anyways. So it's a, it's, people are understandably a bit concerned about their privacy uh, you could go back to the Adam Schiff case where the Department of Justice subpoenaed uh, information during the Russiagate scenario under uh, William Barr. And it turned out that they subpoenaed none other than the the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff from Pasadena, one of the kind of high ranking members of Congress. And so his data was handed over. But the platforms, meaning Apple, Google, and Microsoft, were gagged from being able to say that Adam Schiff's data was subpoenaed. And so until recently, and then it came out maybe a month or so ago, kind of wild. But yeah, that's the top story. I mean, look, I, I, I mean, I strongly support this, just to be clear about this. I mean, um, you know, with Clearview, you know, we've caught like I mean, hundreds, I mean, probably up to thousands now of pedophiles trafficking in the very worst of worst kind of thing. And CSAM, which yeah, is a yeah. you know, child sexual abuse. On the face you know. of it, on the face of it, it's a no brainer. The question is, yeah. can it be abused or misused? Oh, I mean, of course it can be abused or misused. But like, I mean, that's that's just the nature of technology now. Yeah. And you'll see Apple and Microsoft are trying to get to ingratiate themselves with Uncle Sam. Um, you know, now that Microsoft's dealing with its own issue of, 
you know, Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein and all that. Uh, um, and you're going to see Apple is doing what Uncle Sam tells them to do as Facebook and Google come out of security review. So, I, I mean, I fully support this. And I think it's um, it's about time that we had um, tech companies that actually cared about children, you know, as much as they they care about making a buck. And I should say, like, look, yes, uh, you know, the, the case of the Adam Schiff stuff is a bit more complicated. You'll note that Adam Schiff, um, you know, he ran the first impeachment, but Raskin ran the second. Mm-hmm. And Raskin's wife um, is very much, you know, plugged into our intelligence apparatus. Schiff has his own kind of issues with, um, you know, that was sort of like an, basically an intra, you know, it's, it's a shame that Schiff and Trump couldn't lose there um, without, without going into too much detail there. But yes, I mean, look, we are in an environment now where our tech companies are going to increasingly be demanded more and more of them are going to be demanded to actually safeguard, you know, women and children and the weak among our society. And if they don't do that, either personally in the case of, uh, you know, of, of, you know, Bill Gates palling around with Jeffrey Epstein or, or others who have palled around with Jeffrey Epstein and others, then they're going to get what they deserve. And that's just going to be how it's going to be. Uh, For us. And as, as it should be in my, Okay. Well, Charles, as, as, as a, as a, sorry to interrupt, Tyler. Um, uh, Charles, as a, as a whole, it's a, it's, it's obviously great that this is happening, but in terms of misuse, I mean, you know, people often have pictures of, for example, you know, their their, their nephews or, or their uh, you know nieces, etc., at, at a young age, um, on their phone. I mean, how could this? Or, or their own kids. Yeah, their own kids in the shower. No, no, no. Those those very rarely lead to to actual prosecution. I mean, I'll give you a more recent example, and you can, I direct people to the Castro Hill article about the company I I co-founded, Clearview, uh, in the New York Times, and there was a an individual uh, Argentine national living in Las Vegas who was trafficking in images of seven year olds, Um, and you know he has photo appeared for a split seconds. that photo was then on through Clearview. He was identified in a gym selfie of somebody else because Clearview has the largest database. And actually, unlike some of the other tech companies, which are frankly, frankly treasonous, um, we actually like law enforcement. Um, and this guy was then captured. He was then in a position where he was forced to testify about other pedophiles he was associated with. And so a whole pedophile ring was disrupted. And... I mean, I, I don't think the lay public and, you know, forgive me because, you know, they're, they're I mean, um, how about this? I've seen very disturbing things, of course. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to be, like, overly dramatic about this, but, like, people don't understand the more dark side of the Internet. I mean, there are FBI agent friends of mine who... Um, they they have to deal with this child sexual abuse imagery and like they're not the same like after you after they go they start and go out go out i mean they have it's a traumatic kind of thing to see children abused in this way and in this particular instance you know apple is um essentially complying with the government's requests as as a number of tech companies are starting to do to to actually implement filtering technology ah. Um, now, now the interesting question is, how does this all play with pornography, which will be the next battle? And you'll, you're starting to see a number of players sue Pornhub and 
sue a number of these uh, other sort of pornographic websites that are essentially, you know, uh, linked with trafficking and other sorts of issues. And, you know, you'll, you'll start to see the sort of like Googles and Facebooks of the world, you know, complain about this sort of thing uh, using their sort of privacy shields and surrogates. The same sort of outfits, by the way, that were totally cool with Backpage and the sort of wholesale trafficking of people for profit. So uh, because they didn't want CDA 230 to be to be amended and dealt with. Um, and of course, that's why we got um, the, you know, some of the some of the new laws there. So, look, in the final analysis, we, we have to ask ourselves this question about the products that we build. You know, are they kind of creating a more uh, wholesome, you know, healthy environment for the least among us? Or are they in some yeah, that's sense the surface level argument? Yeah. But the and, is, but, is it your position that the that Apple isn't this wasn't Apple's internal uh, idea that Apple, this was yeah. that this was being in some way uh, um, imposed on them by the government? Well, imposed is a strong word. I know I mean, that. And that's not the ideal word. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I would say that Apple is trying to get in the good graces of Uncle Sam because it understands that facebook is certainly as, not in the good graces as of part Sam. of their ongoing no. negotiations yes. around uh and, and monopoly <laughs> yeah yes yeah i mean look we, we we have national champions in this country i mean amazon is a national champion and and i direct you to the fact that like you know jeff bezos you know grandfather number four employee at darpa you know, Bezos runs the so cloud here, service for let, the CIA, let, right? Let me I mean, let me throw out uh, uh, is, let me know. throw out a curveball into this conversation, because Apple's position recently, you know, in the past year or two, has been privacy, 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 privacy at all costs, essentially, right? It's yours. We don't even want to know. We can't even look. If the government came asking, we don't even have the keys. You, you is all a thousand percent. No, under no circumstance would we, um, you know, and that implies, okay. So in this case, this is an exception. This is a carve out privacy, 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 except this. And I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm certainly no advocate of child pornography or, you know, child abuse or whatever. My point is, is will there be other carve outs like, uh, somebody, you know, bombs, right? Like uh, terrorism. Okay, that could be another carve-out. I think most people would agree with. Okay, what about uh, the what? The what ism The inevitable. Uh, once you've made a single carve-out, then you start the slippery slope of endless carve-outs, so to speak. Which are which is seemingly uh, in incoherent, inconsistent with their privacy, 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 privacy positioning. Well, the privacy thing was always a marketing ploy, and in okay. a post. And it's a world where the Israelis can essentially hack any phone, as as we've seen, this idea that you have privacy on your phone is is kind of a red herring. And, and frankly, if you believe you have privacy on your phone, you're 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 kind of foolish at this stage. I mean, it's it's been demonstrated enough times that you don't nor nor should you, in, in my opinion, because anything you do on the phone, you know, should should be known to the government. Now, there's a difference between privacy and toleration, right? Like if you're not doing anything illegal on your phone. But they're they're, um, they're, they're notably you know. inconsistent. They can't really come out with this and maintain the privacy, 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 because it's like, well, no, clearly there's a back door. <laughs> there's there's a there's a, you know, a gap in the security system that it's privacy asterisk. Now, it used to just be privacy. Now it's privacy asterisk. And that, that's my point is that asterisk asterisk on the word privacy 
um, you know, it just sort of changes the dynamic of the their positioning on things. It's it's really interesting. Tyler, are you are you saying that a a major tech company valued in trillions of dollars is not consistent with yes. its overall? I yes. mean, I'm I'm shocked that yeah. they would not be consistent no. and would just it's hard, sort of it's hard use to these believe. arguments as that's hard to believe. I know. Yeah. So there's there's other articles very much related to this. Uh, Wired sends out a uh, they have an article today. And the headline, and they sent it in my inbox. Like, that's how hot it is right now. I just received it myself. And it, the headline from Wired is, Messaging apps have an eavesdropping problem. Vulnerabilities in Signal, Facebook Messenger, Google Duo, and more all point to a pervasive privacy issue. And it goes on and on. A bug in group FaceTime calls could have let hack attackers activate the microphone and even the camera of the iPhone. They were calling an eavesdropping before the recipient did anything at all. And the and here's the quote, the idea that you could find a bug where the impact is you could cause a call to be answered without any interaction. That's surprising, says Sylvanoch, a researcher at Google's Project Zero bug hunting team. I went on a bit of a tear and tried to find these vulnerabilities in other applications, and I ended up finding quite a few. So indeed, we've been seeing multiple headlines in recent days that... Uh, WhatsApp and other messaging apps are, um, it's incredibly difficult to secure messaging apps, even for the biggest of the biggest tech companies, namely Facebook and Apple and Google, let alone a startup messaging app. So let that sink in for a second. And the same applies to fintech apps as well, by the way. So it's, uh, it's an incredible challenge to protect apps at the highest, highest elite levels. So that's um, just a side note to the bigger point of, yeah, this privacy issue around our devices. I think what's happening is something that we geeks have no, always known, which is that our devices are not secure. I mean, my most um, kind of geek celebrity, uh, cybersecurity celebrity friends that are celebrities within their little sphere of cybersecurity you know, routinely would remove the batteries out of their phones and bury their phones under uh, and play music in a room, you know, and go, you know, uh, they've been doing that for years, years and years and years. And I think it's only more recently that this is becoming more of a mainstream concept that people are starting to digest, which is the understanding that you just don't have privacy in any of your digital devices. So the second biggest story at this very moment is also a follow-up of a yesterday article. And the yesterday article, just to recap and go chronologically for a second, was that, uh, well, th this is an ongoing drama, this one, as some of them are, uh, like the uh, Activision Blizzard's drama, which, of course, there's probably an update on that drama as well. This new drama that started actually three days ago was about the... Um, the 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 infrastructure bill and the the paragraphs within the infrastructure bill related to crypto, and uh, so yesterday the headline was, oh no 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 sorry that's a separate issue separate issue separate issue we'll get to that one as well. This one is about the new NYU New York University uh, Ad Observatory Lab, the the PhD candidate who built a browser extension which was tracking the political ads inside of Facebook. And then Facebook shut that down. And then yesterday, Mozilla, maker of the Firefox browser, came out and said, Facebook is claiming they have to shut it down because of the FTC's rules 
um, uh, that they lost this $5 billion suit related to Cambridge Analytica and Facebook as much as they like this PhD, you know, NYU uh, uh, ad observatory project around, you know, political ads, as much as they would love to support that. Unfortunately, they can't because the FTC said, you know what, um, you know, the way that you the data was used in Cambridge Analytica, you're no longer allowed to do it. So our hands are tied. Sorry, NYU. Um, but we can't help you. We have to shut down your little project. And then today in the Washington Post, in a letter to the headline reads, in a letter to Zuckerberg, the FTC itself called Facebook's initial claims to cut off NYU researchers' access to comply with the FTC's privacy agreement inaccurate. So the <laughs> this is quite comical because Facebook is saying, oh, no, 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 we would love to help you, NYU. But the FTC, you know, cracked down on us due to Cambridge Analytica. And so, unfortunately, because of that, we can't help you. And then the FCC, FTC jumps in themselves and says, no, Mark, that's bullshit. <laughs> don't use our don't use us as an excuse for why you why you had to shut down this ad tracking project. We are telling you, no, it, again, let me read it in a letter to Zuckerberg. The FTC called Facebook's claims to cut off NYU research access to comply with FTC's privacy agreement is, quote unquote, inaccurate. The FTC, yeah, I mean, just, yeah. just just to be very clear about this, the reason the Cambridge Analytica scandal happened was because of the intelligence implications of the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And the more you look into Rebecca Mercer um, and sort of the whole funding around Cambridge Analytica uh, to sort of build and scrape profiles, there was a clear intelligence application of that technology. Um, and Fraz and others, you know, who are not necessarily Americans know, know what I'm talking about here. And so the FTC, like the SEC, like the IRS, there's sort of a number of these vehicles that the U.S. You know, intelligence services use. And so in the case of, you know, this NYU scandal, um, you know, what's happening is that Facebook is not complying with repeated, you know, entreaties by U.S. intelligence services be it be it FBI, be it CIA, be it NSA, uh, among others, it's not, you know, Zuckerberg is quoted in, in the most recent New York Times book. Uh, I think it's called like an ugly, an ugly truth or something. I, I forget the name of the new book that just came out. Uh, Cecilia Chang, an ugly, Cecilia Kang an ugly wrote truth. It. An, an ugly truth. truth. There you go. Um, and, you know, Zuckerberg is quoted in that, in that, you know, in that book and, and elsewhere, he's quoted as saying to be, for the company, company over country. And, you know, there are a lot of us who are, are disgusted by that. You know, this is an American company and, you know, that, you know, that was enabled by American law and is essentially abusing that law now when it has misinformation, where it has foreign actors messing about in its, in its program. And so it's, you know, Facebook is in, is in a world of hurt and rather than sort of like be accountable with its ad network, which is essentially being used to, to foment violence and strife around the world. And that's not even getting into WhatsApp and all the holes in WhatsApp software. And, you know, of course, NSO group has sort of, you know, has, has used those holes to, to, to devastating effect. I mean, killing human rights activists all around the world. I mean, let's just be blunt about it. Um, they're not playing ball with the U S government. Um, 
And so now there are going to be consequences for that. And you saw the way that the FTC chose to respond to this in the Washington Post. I've got it right here. I got the, I got the letter. I want to read what they the So it says, letter from acting director of the Bureau of Consumer Protection, Samuel Levine, to Facebook today. Acting director of, <clears throat> of the Bureau of Consumer Protection, Samuel Levine, sent a letter sent the following letter to Mark Zuckerberg concerning Facebook's misleading claims regarding the company's consent decree with the FTC. Dear Mr. Zuckerberg, can I call you Mark? I write concerning Facebook's recent insinuation that its actions against an academic research project conducted by NYU's Ad Observatory were required by the company's consent decree with the FTC. As the company has since acknowledged, this is inaccurate. The FTC is committed to protecting the privacy of people and efforts to shield target. And they they italicized the word people in this letter to them because they mean we're interested in protecting the privacy of people, not companies. This is what he's implying, which is uh, you're trying to protect the privacy of Facebook, which is what this whole project is about. And we're, we're interested in protecting the privacy of people. But in this case, people are opting into participating in this browser extension uh, ad observatory project. The people are willingly sharing their data. So there's nothing to protect them from. They've opted into this. They've installed the browser. They've clicked the big agree button that says, yes, please look at my data uh, around the ads that are targeting me. And the FTC is is committed to protecting the privacy of people, not necessarily Facebook. (laughs) We're not interested in protecting your data, Facebook. Uh, And efforts to shield targeting advertising practices from scrutiny run counter to that mission. While I appreciate that Facebook has now corrected the record, I am disappointed by how your company has conducted itself in this manner. Only last week, Facebook's general counsel, Jennifer Newstead, committed the company to, quote unquote, timely, transparent communication to BCP staff about significant developments. Yet the FTC received no notice that Facebook would be publicly invoking our consent decree to justify terminating academic research earlier this week. Had you honored your commitment to contact us in advance, we would have pointed out that the consent decree does not bar Facebook from creating exemptions for good faith research in the public interest. Meaning, uh, if you're going to use our name as an excuse for why you can or can't do something, maybe you should check with us first uh, that we actually uh, believe that. And instead of us now having to publicly embarrass you and take it so far as to tweet it from our personal Twitter account and even perhaps even reach out to the Washington Post to let the whole world know that you're uh, obviously desperate in this attempt to stop this and we're going to call you out very publicly. Indeed, the FTC supports efforts to shed light on opaque business practices, especially around surveillance-based advertising. While it's not our role to resolve individual disputes between Facebook and third parties, we hope that the company is not invoking privacy, much less the FTC consent order, as a pretext to advance other aims, namely covering your ass so and then they took to twitter very publicly today acting bcp director samuel levine wrote on wrote to facebook from their own twitter account ceo mark zuckerberg regarding the company's misleading claims about its consent decree with the ftc don't don't use our don't use our rule you know consent decree as an excuse for to cover your ass about this uh, issue you, it doesn't work so now what's what's going to happen are they going to have to let the ad, the ad observatory nyu's project go through unimpeded oh boy now you're going to get i don't know a million people opting into in joining the project and it kind of the whole thing is kind of blown up in their face a little backfire so 
really interesting uh, development today on that issue. The next big issue at this very moment is a tiny one. Uh, so that's we covered the two biggest stories of the day. The third biggest story of the day is that Amazon delays returns to the office from September 3rd to January 3rd because there's some, I don't know, there's a, there's a, a virus going around or something like that. And then the next big story story is the one I was talking about where it started yesterday, where Senators Loomis, Wyden, and Tomey propose amendment to the infrastructure bill excluding, well, that it's a, this is step three. Step one is there's the infrastructure bill. Inside the infrastructure bill, there is verbiage that would essentially define uh, this legal definition of a broker, which would apply to basically anyone doing anything with blockchains at all in any kind of way. And it would force them to comply with an IRS definition as a broker, which would then force them to file 1099s, which would then force them to collect on those 1099s the names and addresses of anyone touching their blockchains in any kind of way whatsoever, essentially um, um, bringing, uh, what, do you, what would you call it, just deep bear hugging, uh, incredibly deep bear hugging into all things crypto within the U.S., which would then, for those who don't want to be bear hugged, uh, need to leave the U.S. and maybe even take preference into countries without uh, um, extradition treaties, namely uh, Moldova, Russia, Chad, and South Sudan. Those are kind of your four choices if you really... Tyler? Huh? Tyler? Yes. That's um, <clears throat> to what you're just saying right there. There was a news article that was slightly burning, but not so burning that I couldn't wait which is that now that Ethereum's moved to proof of stake, mm -hmm. which as Ben has shared, yeah, the, and I have shared as well, it, it means the London that the fork. miners, yeah. correct, the London fork. Now that basically means that it moves from proof of work to proof of stake. But the unique part about that is that, <laughs> it, of course, Donna, we, we all say it, virus, exactly what you're saying now. But now the, the comment came out yesterday, the article came out yesterday on Decrypt, <clears throat> that they're going to start taxing the proof of stake of Ethereum, which is interesting because in some ways it makes sense. I mean, I'm just saying it makes sense because it's gone from proof of work where it's been sort of willy nilly, but now it's going to proof of stake where the proof of stake is the person that's going to be doing most of the mining approval, tra tra transaction mining approvals, right? Or transaction approvals or and then from the mempool where all the transactions get bucketed in, right? But that means those people that have large stakes of Ethereum are going to be taxed. And that's what just came out yesterday. So, so they're going to be Tyler, taxed. Yeah, I think Aaron wants correct. to jump in. Yeah. yeah so, we get it. Sorry. Technically, London has nothing to do with proof of stake. It's simply a change in the way it's that... It's the EIP 1559. Yeah, 1559 is the minor actually not, value. not... Yeah, it's not proof of stake. That's part of the merge, which is part of ETH2, which comes later. Yeah, correct. But this I was thinking it kind yeah, no, I, I, I think the important part here is that technically it is challenging to report on pseudonymous transactions. Right. And because it is challenging to report on pseudonymous transactions, it will prevent people from participating at all. Right. So yeah, I, I got that's it. I was just trying to explain yes. it in a very yip and way, Aaron, yeah, yeah, yeah. because no, there's I a know. lot of people in the audience that may not sure. know all these big vernacular oh, we words. Understand. Sure, sure, sure. We got it. So no, here, yeah. here's the... The updated headline uh, from CoinDesk is that Senators Warren and Portman proposed an amendment to infrastructure bill that only, uh, well, yesterday there was an update, which was they were now going to try and <clears throat> uh, 
the headline yesterday was Senators Loomis, Wyden, and Tomey propose amendment to infrastructure bill excluding crypto developers, miners, node operators, and others from the quote unquote broker definition. Right. Okay. And of course that the, the crypto community, including Jack himself, was like, hallelujah, thank God for that. And let's hope that passes, right? The whole crypto community is like, oh, sweet Jesus, let's hope that passes so that I don't have to consider moving to Moldova. So then the new headline is Senators Warren and Portman proposed an amendment to infrastructure bill that only excludes crypto miners from broker definition, which is ouch. <laughs> that means that the um, developers are back in hot water again if it's only excluding miners, essentially. Um it's um, and then Balaji and, and others. I mean, the whole the, the crypto sphere is obviously paying now very close attention to this. And it started, you know, a few days ago when the EFF, who is one of the unique entities that has the technical and legal chops to analyze the 2000 page infrastructure bill. And they found this the wording, you know, and they kind of raised the red flag to everybody. And now everyone's waking up and paying attention. But when, when are they set to vote on this? Don, do we happen to know? when this is set to be potentially passed or not? It's really well, I was watching man, Tyler, and so apparently the Republicans have some personal thing they got to do tomorrow. So they're not they're gonna be do they're they're not doing anything more. They they were doing some nominations at late this night and I think they're gonna try to come back Saturday to get done whatever they need to get done. You know, so yeah. I don't even know where are in the amendments yet, but I don't think much anything's nothing's supposed to happen tomorrow. Okay. Everything's gonna I keep I keep trying to tell our friends here that the fix is in against crypto. Yeah, and I say this you want, as yeah. a friend. Car Carl, and, Charles you know, Charles deserves the uh 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 the seer award it? for this one. Um you know what's what's a, the uh, uh so I mean Rob Portman is like deep state one oh one, you know, like he is I mean, he's very much like this is what he is. I mean, just telling you guys, like those of you who have crypto right now, I mean, uh, please, please, please listen to me. Those of you who want to like survive here financially, because it's going to get very ugly very fast. So on the, there's people. So, I, just, I, I just want I will. I just if there's a few tweets I wanted to point out. One from Jake Burkham, founder of CoinFund, engineer, investor, researcher of crypto networks, says uh, the tragedy of this nonsense is that for many networks, network nodes cannot comply. This either means node operators are leaving the U.S. or increased decentralization will hinder enforcement efforts. And then Balaji jumps in to say, make no mistake, this is a backdoor Bitcoin ban. Compliance is impossible. The, their intent is to criminalize full nodes, lightning nodes, and most Bitcoin wallets, and they are not really in favor of proof of work. They, the very next bill will include some ESG thing to attack that too. And this is what I, when the EFF article came out that we shared here, I think that was three or four days ago, I called, I did the same in a different way than Charles did. I said, oh, this, this seems to me a political assassination attempt of, uh, you know, kind of crypto as we know it as well. So, um, but now you're you're hearing Balaji and and Jake and others uh, express concern. At a, certainly, at, to put it mildly, certainly very interesting that when Balaji was up to be FDA head, when he was meeting in Trump Tower, he withdrew himself right before the FBI would have processed his file. Just something to think about. So, so I have an up. Go ahead, Ken. For a, a process here. 
so basically they got no amendments voted on or done because one Republican senator uh, objected to doing anything. There, and the reason the Republicans won't be in tomorrow is because Senator Mike Enzi or former Senator Mike Enzi died. So they're all going out to his funeral. OK, so that's why nothing's happening tomorrow. And that's why they're going to try to get something done Saturday. But apparently none of these amendments that we're talking about got a vote today. OK. Well, there will no doubt be an additional update tomorrow and for the foreseeable future. So the next big headline for yeah, now. No, yeah, none of those amendments, by the way, are, are going to get a vote. Just just so you know, they're, they're, they're going they're, none of them are going to get a vote. Yeah, Tyler, before we go on, just very quickly, as a, as a point of information, being an NYU grad, I was interested in the story from another, the, yeah. uh, the Facebook story, whatever. There is a web page, uh, NYU is so proud of this PhD student, the engineering school has given her her own page, and there's stuff on this page, it, it, the whole page is littered with Facebook stuff and the project, so anyone who's interested in that, it's like engineering.nyu.edu, and then slash student, and, and then the uh, the candidate's name, Laura, you know, Laura Edelson, you know, Laura Hyphen Edelson. Yeah. You could just Google it and find it. But there's but anyone who's interested in this, plenty of info on there over there. Yeah, that, I was implying yesterday that even though her project, which is no doubt part of her PhD, because she's a PhD candidate, that at a minimum, the amount of attention that she's bringing to this, uh, I, you know, even if the project is halted, uh, no doubt she'll get her PhD. And she's acting like a, like she's a celebrity, right? Because you know, yeah. I, I have. I have two degrees from them, and they never gave me a web page. So. <laughs> Fair enough. So the White House backs senators pushing for stricter crypto reporting rules. This is a headline from CNBC at this moment. There is a crypto amendment battle underway between two camps of senators. The fight is over a provision in the bipartisan bill which raises money through stricter tax rules on cryptocurrency transactions, and those stricter tax rules require identification, essentially, and addresses through 1099s. And the White House would the right the White House wrote in a statement late Thursday that was very recently that the quote unquote amendment put forward by Senators Warren Portman Sinema strikes the right balance and makes an important step forward in promoting tax compliance. And so that's the White House seems on board with it. So the next biggest article at this very moment is that Yelp will let businesses list their vaccination policies, including if customers must show proof of vaccination, wear masks, or if all staff are vaccinated. I kind of like that, actually. And I, and I think uh, Google Maps could do the same. So when people are searching um, you know, for where they might want to eat, they can already see before they get there what the policies are, which would, at, at a minimum, save their uh, waiters and waitresses a whole lot of headache of people who don't want to wear masks, forcing themselves into the building physically. Um, so if a disproportionate number of black Americans are unvaccinated, how does that fit with, uh, compliance with disparate impact laws (laughs) vis-a-vis, you know, vis-a-vis the, uh, civil rights acts? Interesting question. (laughs) We'll just leave that as a point to ponder, I guess. The, the next article based on uh, the attention on the Twitter sphere, this is about the number six, is that scammers are abusing Instagram's protections against self-harm and impersonation to purposefully target and ban Instagram accounts, some charging $60 per ban. 
An underground industry is abusing Instagram's mechanism for removing self-injury and impersonating content to censor and harass people. Scammers are abusing Instagram protections against suicide, self-harm, and, person- and impersonation to purposely target and ban Instagram accounts at will, with some people even advertising professionalized ban-as-a-service offerings so anyone can harass or censor others for 60 bucks according to screenshots, interviews, and other material reviewed by Motherboard. It appears that in some cases, the same scammers who offer ban as a service also offer or are at least connected to services to restore accounts for users who were unfairly banned from Instagram. <laughs> That's what we call a racket. <laughs> Sometimes for thousands of dollars. So it's only 60 bucks to ban someone and a thousand bucks to get your account reinstated. Here's a quote. Me and my friends currently have the best band service on site in the world. One advertisement for a band service on the underground forum OG Users reads, We have been professionally banning since 2020 and have top-tier experience. We may not have the cheapest prices, but trust me, you are getting what you pay for. And if you want someone banned, you might as well go to the best. Don't use those bargain banners <laughs> who can ban your enemies we can ban them better than than anyone we're the best damn banners on instagram uh war the synonymous user offering the ban service told motherboard in a telegram message that banning is quote unquote pretty much a full-time job lol (laughs) they claim to have made over five figures from selling instagram bans in under a month war charges 60 dollars per ban according to their listing another banner on a different underground forum offers the services for between $5 and $30 per account, depending on the number of followers. That listing advertised bans for accounts of up to 5,000 followers, but claims that higher follower accounts are also possible to ban. The first listing said it can impact accounts with up to 99,000 followers. War said they just didn't... To, hmm? Just to be clear, I've paid for these services before. They, they work about 50-50, you know, depending on which broker you use. War said they didn't know why particular customers may use their service, but added, obviously, individuals who have money to throw around. Maybe it's their ex or they have a, had a grudge with them, maybe ruining their business, maybe getting paid even more from third party. They added both listings say that a target account must have a human in the profile photo. In worst cases, they said that they ban users by filling a fraudulent impersonation complaint to Instagram I use an impersonation method where I get my verified IG accounts and change my profile to look exactly like the target's bio. Ah, that's how they do it. Very clever. To look like the target's bio name, profile photo, etc. I report them for impersonating once and boom, they're gone. Ward told Motherberg. So they have a verified Instagram account with a lot of followers. Then the person they want to ban, they take their photo, put it as the the photo on their own verified account and change the name to the name and then file a report on the other account saying hey this person who's unverified is you know copying me the verified account it, you, that's pretty sneaky anyway i've okay. taken notes here tyler if yeah. you guys watch the if you guys watch the movie fake famous that was on hbo that nick bilton did um i highly recommend it it's basically about this whole underground world of people buying followers and blocks and bands and all of that. And it's, it's highly, highly, highly entertaining. Um, essentially they take somebody who's an influencer and they basically take her from nothing to make her famous. It's, 
it's well worth watching to see how Instagram can be ga- gamed. And of course, you know, there are all sorts of other questions about all this technology and how it can be manipulated. I myself have used the services before to neutralize people that I didn't particularly like online on Twitter and on Facebook and on Facebook and on Instagram. And they work about 50% of the time, depending on which broker you get. I recommend the people out of the Middle East more than the folks uh, out of Southeast Asia. <laughs> okay. I think we get the gist of the article. I, I like the idea that they also help them reinstate their account. Um, <laughs> oh, they yeah, say it's a racket. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> it's 3500 to 4000 to restore. 1500 refundable deposit to start one person allegedly offering restore services wrote in a message to a victim according to one of the screenshots we need this in Wikipedia, dude right yeah um because because i'm a presuming when the women get the dick pics on a dating site and that's where i hear from my friends that it happens the most yeah there's a there's the person identified already right so you would just you don't have to do any ai to get that part done right they're identified and we can put build the database of dick pics and publicly shame them. And then they can pay to have the photo removed. And we split 50-50 with the person who submitted the dick, the victim who submitted the dick pic. And thus by ending the phenomena of dick pics. It's a win one, uh, one of my friends after January 6th, she was uh, seated outside of uh, the Capitol. And she um, had the foresight to open up Bumble and to use Bumble to match with various guys who were there. And, of course, has been using that to help the DOJ bring prosecutions of some of the folks who were there. So you never know quite you know, how to use these dating sites or these ways in which these, these websites can be used. Well, this for, could, uh, this for could good backfire because you've got some guys who might actually link to their Wikipedia page from their Twitter bio, you know, if they're particularly proud of uh <laughs> so although that would be part of the marketing i guess is if they're driving traffic who cares you know there is free marketing so the next biggest story at this very moment uh on the twitter sphere is about twitter spaces launching a co-hosting feature which will now allow rooms to have one host up to two co-hosts and 10 additional speakers active at once so the uh, in this article from 9 to 5 mac Twitter Spaces is launching a long-awaited feature for its users co-hosting a Twitter Space, which is their carbon copy clone of Clubhouse, which except that instead of 8,000 users, kind of listeners in a room, or actually instead of instead of seemingly unlimited number of speakers on stage, you can only have previously 10. And the headline here is that you now... You can have yourself as the host, two co-hosts, and 10 speakers. So now it's a whopping 13 people on stage is the maximum. And in all fairness, uh, the the audience size in Twitter spaces is reportedly unlimited, although we don't know because we, we've not, we don't have yet to see uh, a super celeb try a Twitter space. Although we did see Jack and Drake and a few other people have tried stuff in the the room seemed to max out at around the largest I saw was I think 20,000. So we'll see what, what, the, what it actually amounts to. But anyway, they're, they're letting everyone know that they now have co-hosts as, as, as uh, you know, just like the green bean that you can hand out here very in clubhouse to, I don't know, a hundred people if you wanted. Now you can have two 
in Twitter. So fantastic. They're making progress. So the next big article at this very moment is Google refreshes its Nest lineup, which is their kind of uh, home hardware, your smart IoT devices, your, your cameras and your doorbells and whatnot including its video doorbell and indoor-only camera and unified design language, meaning they all kind of look like they belong together now, and lower prices, uh, which thank God for that because they were way overpriced. I don't think they had much choice. They were kind of pricing themselves out of the market. And a whole new lineup of cameras for Nest Smart Homes. Google has announced a new lineup and uh, different colors as well because not everybody's house works well with a white devices. So now they've got different shades of colors that you know light blue as many homes are to make your doorbell uh, a little more appealing with the color of your house so the the next biggest headline at this very moment is from TechCrunch, and it reads art agricultural manufacturing giant john deere which makes all of the big tractors you know across america acquires autonomous tractor startup bear flag robotics for 250 million in a world of robotic startup acquisitions is often a good an outcome as any. And when it comes to robotic tractor startups, <clears throat> you could do worse than being acquired by John Deere. So now that now the tractors are going a little autonomous, makes sense, though, because it's a highly mechanical and in most mass scale farms, it's a very uh, uh, predictable, repeatable pattern. And there's very uh there's no not chance of like crashing into other cars or bicyclists on your farm so it makes sense that you could automate that i mean they already have auto autonomous lawnmowers in sweden by the uh, way i'm not familiar with this but like would a farmer normally work overnight or like do you think Great autonomous question. um yeah let them run would, all would night. this solve a problem there yeah they, they could run those things around the clock that could work so anthony moose got a hand up and in his bio says data scientist so welcome, Anthony. You wanted to jump in here? Hey, Tyler. Hey, hey everyone. Hey. So, yeah, I've worked in this industry um, for CNH Industrial, the competitor to John Deere over in uh, Illinois. And, uh -huh. you know, just real quick, when you look at the state of the world, the global population is increasingly growing to nearly 8 billion. Um, people's consumptions are also increasing. Uh, so at the same time, you have all the real estate developers, people buying more homes. What ends up happening is that we have about five to six percent available land around the world to actually grow crops. Um, so it's it's an enormous engineering problem, period. And you have to automate it. It's, it's only going to be able to uh, be taken care of by precision farming and ag tech. Interesting. And do we because of ag tech, which is just starting to boom, right? It do does it give us any optimism for addressing uh, increasing the output of, you know, food, uh, because they, notably there was a headline three, four or five days ago from the UN that we're going to see somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 million people without access to reliable food. Yeah, there, there's a number of dynamics uh, in this. And, and if you look at uh, India as well, right? So India's population has been protesting uh, for quite some time. The agricultural laws have changed. They've taken the middleman market out, right? The Indian government, Modi government completely mm. changed the agricultural laws. So the people are starving over there. Um, as for like the 400 million people who are working and um, if, if you know, people, like the robots don't need any potty breaks. It's a very precision um, 
again, when you look at the regulation uh, between self-driving vehicles, as you mentioned, you don't, you don't have to worry about driving over people. It's open field. So from a regulation perspective, um, ag tech and AI is booming. Like AI is booming in agricultural uh, industry because there's no safety issues. It's predictable patterns. And on top of that, if you do Google or watch some videos on precision farming, um, it's fascinating because the precision of sowing seeds and reaping and uh, absolutely harvesting everything, it's down to such a precise science that each crop, and let's just say we're talking about corn, they will make sure, whether it's John Deere or Case New Holland CNH Industrial, they'll make sure that the crops next to each other are growing perfectly at the same height because even if one crop is two inches taller than the next crop, the sunlight rays will actually impact that specific crop, meaning there's less uh, efficient output. So when you kind of zoom out and Tyler, that's that, that gene, the RNA gene editing you were talking about that makes them grow about 50% faster or taller or whatever, you would need uh, higher efficiencies in harvesting as well, right? So a lot of this really makes sense. Tyler, you're muted. Thank you, Cheryl. The We had a headline about three days ago of, was it Boston University? Does someone remember the, um, I have the article right here. I can tell you who it was. Hold on. We had a headline that the, a, a, a college, it was a collaboration of Beijing University and an American university. And just, if you give me 10 seconds, I've got it very close here. Was the University of Chicago? Yes, it was University of Chicago. Thank you. And and um, that they had found a a protein inside of what they say is in every plant they've tested, and they tested uh, rice and one other one. So I'm going to call what it was soybeans or something, and it allowed them to grow fifty percent, you know, more crops uh, and become much more drought resistant. And um, if you com- what Chris's point is great, which is right. If they grow stronger, faster, better, you're going to need to do more harvesting more regularly. And then the autonomous thing makes more sense and very interesting. So um, next biggest headline at this moment is Dropbox just did their quarter two reports with revenues of 530 million, which is the estimate was 524 so they didn't beat it by much it's a 13 13.5% growth year over year which not a lot so it's kind of getting that market's getting a little saturated and and uh, the cloud based file sharing company saw its revenue grow 13% year over year <clears throat> so i'm curious what uh, how how that's impacting the company um valuation, whatnot. The next biggest article is Microsoft announces something they call, quote unquote, super duper secure mode. Oh, that's 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 reassuring (laughs) for its edge desktop browser, which disables V8's JIT, allowing for security features like arbitrary code guard. Quote unquote, super duper secure mode. That doesn't leave one feeling very secure, honestly. Um. And Microsoft has a lot of work to do on, on security, um, as the Chinese and Russians know. So the next biggest article is 
about Uber says Uber CEO says Uber won't require drivers or passengers to be vaccinated, though will require corporate employees to be vaccinated before returning to the office. And um, the next biggest article is Zynga, the, the makers of Farmville, if you remember that, uh, started by one Mr. Mark Pincus, uh, agrees to acquire Chinese game developer Starlink and Beta Games mobile golf game called Golf Rival for $525 million in cash and stock. Okay. The next is Kakao Bank, South Korea's first internet-only like e-bank, um, goes public. Shares rose more than 70% in its trading debut in Seoul, giving it a market value of $28 billion. And the next big article is that the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, unveils the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative to combat ransomware and cyber attacks in partnership with Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and others. And those three names have something in common, which is those are the three big cloud providers, Google Cloud, Amazon Web Services, and Microsoft Azure. So you've got all three cloud companies all coming together with the Department of Homeland Security to join the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative to combat ransomware and cyber attacks, which makes sense. That's who you would want as part of that kind of group. And, you know, hopefully they'll play very nice with each other and mutually beneficial sharing of critical information about attacks and everything else so that you don't they don't all have to go through those same pains independently and they can share it with, in this case, the government agency, the DHS, Department of Homeland Security. All makes sense. Uh, the only question is why have they waited until now to do this? Uh, it seems to make a lot of sense. New study says encouraging consensus among data labelers from diverse backgrounds can lead to better AI for detecting misogyny and harassment on social media. This is from Wired. It says misogyny on the internet too often slips through the filters of content moderators. A new method hopes to inject more nuance into the process. And for about six months last year, it's a story, uh, unfortunately. So I'll, I'll tweet this one out to the Tech News Twitter account. It's a Wired is does great stuff, but they can get very verbose and very narrative uh, style, um, like a novel, almost a mini novel, novelettes. And this is one of such story, but um, interesting nonetheless. New study says encouraging consensus amongst data labelers from diverse backgrounds can lead to better AI for detecting misogyny. The next big story is that something called Mapbox. Mapbox Workers Union. Mapbox workers voted against a union, 123 to 81. Uh, after the company forced a formal vote on whether workers wanted to form a union allied with CWA, union organizers at software company Mapbox lost their union election by 123 no votes to 81 in favor votes, marking the end of a formal process to seek recognition for the company. And there's the unions are definitely interested in tech. And I can speak firsthand on that point because the unions in Sweden regularly offer to be sponsors of my events, which I've declined, um, although other event organizers have accepted. And um, they pay quite handsomely, and they really want to encourage the unionization of tech workers and tech companies all over the place. And if they can get into that, 
thus far they've not been very successful. Uh, but if they do, boy, that could be uh, a big win for them. But at the same time, it would almost certainly expedite automation of all kinds in, in different companies with through AIs and whatnot. Um, Twitch COO Sarah Clemens, who took over for co-founder Kevin Lynn in 2018, told staffers she is leaving Twitch to focus on consulting and serving on company boards. Twitch is losing one of its most senior execs, chief operating officer Sarah Clemens today. And then the next headline is Xiaomi was the top brand in global smartphone sales volume in June. So there it is, as predicted, as as I predicted, as Maria well knows, Xiaomi, I said, Xiaomi is going to become the top cell phone manufacturer. And now the headline is Xiaomi was the top brand in global smartphone sales in volume in June. Although its lead could fade once Samsung production recovers from Vietnam COVID-19 wave. No, it's not. Xiaomi is going to continue to kick ass unabated because the price of their phones is unimaginably cheap comparatively to everybody else's. And the quality, uh, you, you, it's just unbelievable quality for price. It, of course, there might be some hidden costs involved. Um, so I'll, the Chinese I'll, government subsidizes it. Yeah. As Charles, <laughs> as Charles is saying out loud, <laughs> but it's a, uh, Boy, is it an unbelievable value uh, on the face of it. Um, But you might be paying in other ways. So the next big article is that Cloudflare beats, uh, who cares? The next one is that uh, Crayhana, a Latin America online learning service. So LATAM LATAM uh, um, um, education tech, ed, ed tech. A Latin American online learning service raises $70 million from General Atlantic. Fantastic. Um, good to see EdTech happening in Latin America. Raises $70 million. What's the valuation? Doesn't say. But user base jumped from $1 to $5 million in 2020. So a big push into uh, EdTech in Latin America. Great. Uh, the next one is GoGuardian, which builds software used in over 10,000 U.S. schools and by over 22 million students, raises $200 million from Tiger Global. Well, again, another ed tech. And, now, and they did just reach a billion-dollar valuation. So you got a new ed tech unicorn. And it's not a coincidence that those last two headlines were ed techs raising lots of money as ed tech in the world's biggest ed tech market of China no longer exists, making India now the number one ed tech market to invest in. So you're going to see a huge wave of ed tech investment uh, outside of China as it's no longer possible to invest there. And those investors are now looking for uh, promising ed techs everywhere else. So being an, it's kind of good to be an ed tech company in uh, June, July, August of 2021. Reversing Labs, a 12-year-old Cambridge, Massachusetts-based supply chain cybersecurity company raises $56 million. And again, cybersecurity companies are going to raise tons of money, which is why there's a sh- the headline two days ago that there's a lack of cybersecurity experts to work in the government or even in the private uh for private companies, it's because cybersecurity startups are getting funded. And that's a far better use of your time. If you're a cybersecurity expert, build a startup and sell software and you sell it to tens of thousands of customers who desperately need it. You'll make a billion dollars relatively quickly, which you can never do singularly working for the government. 
unless you're incredibly crafty. <laughs> so the next big headline is uh, Verizon is using an AI model to analyze variables. Uh, sorry, I have a question though regarding the cybersecurity. Okay, software. go ahead. Most of the breach are social engineering, so it's human, right? So how is the software going to help with human error? Say again. I say most of the um, breach is uh, due to human error, social engineering. So mm -hmm. how are those sophisticated software going to help to eliminate all this human error, which is most of the time quite silly, it won't. silly mistakes that people make? Yeah. It's not going to stop social engineering, but yeah. social engineering opens the opportunity to be penetrated. And once uh, it can add in, for example, Google turns in two, turns on two-factor authentication. Mm -hmm. Companies need two-factor authentication, and a lot Which of have it available, right? Not available everywhere. No, not everywhere. Cheryl, it's available Cheryl, on Google. It it's available on big tech mm -hmm. company platforms. It's currently many like the 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 pipeline that got hacked. The meat production plant that got hacked, I'll bet you a billion dollars. Well, I don't have a billion, but I'll bet you a million dollars that that meat production place does not have two-factor authentication for their employees to log into their system. If they had, they would never have been hacked. And that's how you stop. By the way, uh, your Google account would be hacked in. Everybody's Google accounts would be hacked into relatively easily if they didn't have two-factor authentication. That's why the social networks all have it. And all of the meatpacking plants and oil pipelines all need to add it as well. So if you can make it very easy for them to add on two-factor authentications into their legacy old antiquated systems, that you're going to make a billion dollars very quickly. They need to upgrade their system because right. they're obsolete. And that's how you're going to stop the vulnerability that is a result of social engineering. Well, the other side of it too is Biden met with Vladimir Putin and made it very clear what the no-go areas were. And then if he misbehaved, and he also met with, you know, former director of Mossad, Yossi Cohen, and, you know, basically made it very clear that on the demand side, there would be consequences for this sort of thing. And there were consequences, which, of course, were not reported in the press. And uh, I think people people need to understand that, like, the U.S. government is it has a lot of tools at its disposal that aren't always public. And very interestingly, Revel and the other, what was the other one called? The other Russian-linked ransomware outfit uh, disappeared from the entire internet. And there was a headline as such, wow, Revel's gone. And then two weeks later, a two, a two new ones appear. Um, no, not surprisingly, outside of Russia. And um, wow, what, what an interesting... Who could have predicted that? Well, what's happening is they're all they're all migrating to like lawless parts of Eastern Europe, right. but Moldova. That, that too, you know, that too will start to see uh, curtailment in the very near future. First, they're removing the, the the currency that they operate in, which is cryptocurrencies, which is why you're seeing the government be as harsh with it as as is happening. And then, of course, you're also seeing that you know. Various government entities are going to be held responsible whether or not they're they're to blame. And then you're also seeing that the, the market that the Netanyahu government did and the NSO group kind of group did, you know, you're seeing some of that play out as well. Um, just just to be very, you know, very clear about what's what's going on is, you know, you, if the book for everyone to read on this is called 
They Tell Me This Is How the World Will End by Nicole Perlroth. It's a very, very good book. In that book, they talk about Vulnerability Research Lab and some of the other sort of like companies that are around the Bay Area. But essentially, there's this giant market for zero days that's going on right now. And it used to be that what would happen is different intelligence agencies would identify these holes in various softwares and then sell those holes to other intelligence agencies. Um, that is that practice is being severely curtailed by the Biden administration. So and of course, there's no go areas like no more going after people's food, no hospitals, no energy, that kind of thing. So the, the article we were just jumping into was from The Wall Street Journal. Verizon is using an AI model to analyze variables on the ground, like trees, buildings, and bridges, to find optimal spots to place thousands of 5G, 5G transmitters. <clears throat> As they start to roll out 5G in earnest through Verizon, which is run by Hans Westerling, which was the CEO of Ericsson, who created 5G. So, um, kind of interesting um we we that. we genetically modified the bamboo to have a 5g tower on it there you and go dude we're set oh that's money in the bank right there count me in yeah yeah but this this tech will get leapfrogged over with uh starlink you know there's a lot of like attention here that's that's kind of overly there's a over 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 uh interest on the part of you know the u.s government and others on 5g when uh because there's so many constituencies that 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 you know get you know get paid basically by there being 5g but elon is gonna outpace them so the cryptocurrency analytics firm called masari raises 21 million dollars series a led by 0.72 ventures with kraken ventures gemini and and coinbase amongst that's them that's owen's outfit 0.72 just for those who are paying attention whose outfit I don't know. Point. Steve Cohen. Oh. Steve Cohen, who's got his own interesting ties, shall we say? I'm not familiar with point seventy two. Yeah. Stephen Cohen, man. Okay, but that's right. That's right. He got in trouble several years back with our uh, with our government. I'm I'm imagining they might wish to retract their investment given the recent headlines about. Uh, well, maybe not because all the ones that get uh, fun. Funding are going to comply anyways, generally, but it's just now more compliance. But well, Qualcomm. I mean, people are selling. Fidelity just bought uh, seven point two percent of uh, Marathon Holdings from Fred Thiel. So I mean, I don't know what's going on. Why Fidelity is buying and why Fred Thiel is selling from Bitcoin mining. Hmm. Qualcomm so. offers to buy Vioneer, which develops advanced driver assistance systems for autonomous vehicles. Four point six billion. Top, yeah, there you go. Qualcomm getting into the autonomous vehicle game. Researchers studying 300,000 YouTube viewers. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Tyler. Yeah. On this same vein, I shared with you too. I think they bought um, automotive supplier Magna, which is huge. Like they supply a major part of uh, like the global automotive market. So they bought Magna. Mm. Qualcomm bought Magna? I don't think so. I believe so. Let me let no, me double check no, no, no. my facts. Because no, no, Magna, you're right, is a gigantic uh, company. Uh, uh, just Google and make sure I didn't. Um, I don't think that's right. It. Because Magna Chris, also they bid. Going, they were both going after Vianier. They were both going after. They were both Vianier. going after Vianier. That's oh, right. Was, it, was that it? Yes. I read it wrong. I'm sorry. That's all right. Researchers studying 300,000 YouTube viewers 
over the past few years since 2016 suggests that radicalization via algorithm is not widespread. Most stick to their ideological corners. That's good news, especially for the YouTube team. Ethereum's London hard fork has been activated with changes to how transaction fees are being calculated to decrease volatility amongst other fixes. Indian startup called MindTickle, which offers tools to improve sales staff, raises $100 million from SoftBank at a $1.2 billion valuation. And as I think Charles might have pointed out, uh, a whole lot of Chinese investors are banned from directly investing in India and uh, it seems might be going through SoftBank, which is why we're seeing an unimaginable amount of uh, investment coming out of SoftBank lately. Uh, Indian Pay very close attention to SoftBank. Bank. This is, you know, pay very, very close attention. This is a clue okay. that's about to happen. Okay. Indian digital bank Ju- Jupiter raises $45 million, led by Brazilian-based new bank global founder Sequoia and Matrix at a $300 million valuation. European virtual events platform Hopin raised money. ByteDance has laid off hundreds of employees working on its online education business following China's crackdown in the sector. Etsy dropped by 10% after reporting uh, weak guidance for the next quarter. TikTok says it's testing TikTok stories. We covered that. And there we go. So those are the biggest headlines by volume. Here comes the most interesting headlines by our esteemed colleagues of brilliant and beautiful people on stage and if uh, of the Tech News Club. And if you would like to join the Tech News Club, simply click on the title of the room and uh, follow, and you too can have your IQ go up by several points. Although that leads to the next headline, believe it or not, because Dr. Rhonda Patrick, a verified Twitter user and frequent guest on the Joe Rogan podcast, did a tweet thread um, today that I'm retweeting right now so that you can read it. And it says, a new large-scale study including 81,337 UK participants offers convincing evidence that COVID-19 may indeed result in long-term COVID deficits, even in those who suffer the mildest form of the disease. Severe cases had the greatest cognitive decline of 0.45 standard deviations compared to non-infected individuals. This deficit surpasses the cognitive decline found in former stroke victims, so that COVID even mild COVID has a more impact on your brain ability than even stroke. And stroke victims have notable brain decrease. And 0.45 standard deviation means half of a standard deviation. A standard deviation, uh, the average IQ is 100, so a standard deviation would be 10. That means your IQ would go down about five points by having COVID. That's the, I'm just breaking that down into English for you. So, then it's a tweet thread and there's I'm on tweet two of four. It says this deficit surpasses cognitive decline found in former stroke victims, as well as cognitive differences between groups that differ by 10 years of age. Most surprisingly, a significant degree of cognitive decline was found in mild cases of COVID. These individuals performed 0.23 standard deviations below normal, a decline that is roughly equivalent to 3.5 IQ points in a classic test of intelligence. And she's right, a, two point, a 0.23 standard deviation, so a quarter of 10 is indeed about 3.5 IQ points uh, in a classic test of intelligence. So you're going to lose about 3.5 IQ points. That's, that's noticeable in a human conversation, uh, honestly. So... 
you're, you're going to get dumber if you get COVID is the short term, even mild COVID there's, is the point they're making. In severe COVID, you lose half a deviation, which is about seven IQ points, which is incredibly very obviously noticeable uh, in, in even um, human conversation. So another study used imaging data and found that people who had COVID-19, both severe and mild, lost a significant amount of gray matter in several brain regions compared to shortly before they had been infected with COVID. And so I tweeted that out. You, there's a link to the study from medrxiv.org. You can read that and decide for yourself if you... if you Sample size, very small, uh, measurement error. I mean, I, I saw this when she posted it. And, you know, those of us who've done work in IQ stuff are, uh, shall we say, skeptical. That's a polite way of putting it. Yeah, that, as anyone should be. Do your own uh, due diligence on that. Perfect. Thank you to Professor Asif about the University of Chicago genetic um, uh, article. It was what it was. Bam, he's saying bamboo and rice was the two plants that they used in that study. And the next big article. But by the way, if you want to overcome the negative uh, IQ aspects of COVID, you can just follow the Tech News Club where our members are reporting an increase in IQ points. And this is a very thorough study, by the way. Um, so, and in randomized the, the, double blind and that, study. And that's, and that's a full standard deviation that you're improving your <laughs> IQ. None of this, none of this point two bullshit. Like, full, full standard deviation. You know, yeah. <laughs> Tyler, you want to check if you want to bring more people up before you continue. Okay, thank you. I don't see any raising their hands or anything. Oh, because as you know, five IQ points. I mean, wow, five IQ points. Not like there's any measurement error there. No, no, no. No, no, no. I saw Dan, yep. Nicholas, okay. Maria. Yep. Um, okay, so um, there's Maria. I see I, Nicholas has his hand up. We get Professor Asif up here. Okay, so. The next biggest article at this moment is creators can now monetize their expertise on Quora. Quora, the Q&A site, which could have become itself a search engine like Naver in uh, Korea, which is essentially a Q&A site that turned into a search engine. And Google always knew that. And that's why they were always watching Quora very closely and it's incredibly challenging to build a Q&A site at scale because as soon as you open it up to the public, you get a lot of incredibly stupid questions and an insanely amount, an unending number of ridiculous, stupid answers. And your quality of your Q&A site goes to utter shit. And so it's a real challenge. And Core has always struggled with that. But now creators can monetize their expertise on Quora. And that's super interesting because you're, you're monetizing your knowledge. And I, I love this idea because you people could get the person asking the question can. Well, by the way, we did exactly this. Uh, Jason and I did exactly this monetizing your expertise on our version of Quora, which predated Quora in 2007. Quora came out around 2009 or 10. And. We did exactly this. You could put a tip on the the person asking the question can say, I will give the best answer a dollar or two or three or four or five or even a hundred. And we did that in 2007, 2008. And now Core is doing it in 2021. And But it, it's really cool. It's a really cool way to 
um, incentivize lots of great answers. And um, yeah, so cool. the, Go ahead, the, the, the CEO was on uh, this morning, Tyler yeah. Pingju as well. Uh-huh. And they were talking about integrations with YouTube and all sorts of other yeah. uh, platforms and fintech, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the questions I wanted to ask him, but I didn't, it never got answered was, um, you know, social commerce and everything associated with the metaverse and everything that we always talk about. But I, I think it would be headed that way. Just a comment. Yeah. For us, I have a thesis that, uh, you know, social media or sorry, social commerce, um, especially in the learning space is going to really revolutionize things. You know, we, we already learn from our friends already, right? Hey, how do I use my new phone? You know, you're the you're the gadget whiz. Show me how to use this iPhone. You know, and and I think a, a lot of things will extend that way. So there's ah, so check this out. I just found it. So we um, Mahalo Answers offers cash tips for best answers. December fifteenth of two thousand eight. Yep, as I said, two thousand eight. December 15th from Lifehacker. The headline is Mahalo Answers, which is our Q&A site that pre-recorded didn't exist. Uh, Mahalo Answers offers cash tips for best answers. Human-powered search site Mahalo launches a, fam- a familiar-seeming group Q&A forum. Mahalo Answers with a Google-like twist. Having the best answers might just earn you a few bucks from the question asker. In other words, it's intended to be a cross between pay for answers, seriousness of Google's now shuttered answers tool. Google did ha- for a minute have a Q&A site called Answers, Google Answers. Very short lived, um, <clears throat> which tilted towards researchers. And but it, Google's answers was indeed very researchy, very academic. It was not really a public facing thing. And Yahoo's own answers. They had Yahoo, <laughs> Yahoo answers. The reason that. Chris is laughing. How is Babby formed? Is because there was a, an incredible meme of how is Babby formed, because the questions on Yahoo Answers and the answers on Yahoo Answers were even more brain dead than uh, YouTube commenters. Believe it or not, if that was even possible, it was impressive. It was impressively idiotic. Um, to my point, that if you do a wide open public Q and A site. You will come to realize the world is filled with incredibly stupid individuals um, and it's incredibly concerning. And that's why uh, Cora, per my suggestion to them, uh, when we had Mahalo Answers, it was wildly, fantastically awesome at the beginning because it was invite only. And it was Elon Musk and all of the top, uh, you know, investors globally and everyone was in there. It was like a clubhouse in the early days when it was invite only. And the conversations were fantastic and the questions were amazing and the answers were even more amazing. We really thought we had figured out the next big thing. And then you open it up to the public because, you know, it works. Technically, all the the bells and whistles all work. And as soon as the public comes in, the quality of the question becomes, why is Britney Spears so fat? And the answers become, you know, because, you know, she met a healer in Guadalajara and, you know, and she eats uh, too much, you know, cheese that she found on a moon satellite and it just becomes just the most stupidest stuff you ever could ever imagine very quickly and then not to not to mention the uh work from home for a third you know i make three thousand a week working from home you know all the spam yeah i think we all do these Uh, days with things it's just a matter of whether or not it actually gets paid out these days quick quick question tyler i mean uh just the general thesis of the room uh, and the way we analyze things 
the, the way this is going, I mean, would it work better? Because I've heard a couple of pitches from startups, um, and and I mean, Quora and from the sounds of it is 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 a platform where everyone can come from different um, from different aspects, whether it's you know cops or whether it's you know specialist creators in in different parts of different ecosystems, and they can answer questions. But would this concept work better if it was, for example? Um, different creators from different ecosystems of different verticals of different industries and and well, let me, particular platforms yeah. that specialize in healthcare. Let, yes, or, let me explain or, something. So Naver in Korea was built out of Q&A, like Quora. And Google has had a very hard time replacing Naver in Korea because the users of Naver... Um, have invested into the platform of answering lots of questions. They get points. And more importantly, they get business out of it. Because if someone's asking questions about plumbing and you're the best plumber in Korea and you answer any questions, people are going to see your profile and call you next time they have a plumbing problem. And so it's a great free way to market your expertise. It's an expertise engine, essentially. And there is very ranked categories of who are the top 10 plumbers, who are the top 10 florists, who are the top 10 of every profession you can possibly think of. And they've invested in that very heavily as a platform. And so when Google comes along and you ask Koreans, why aren't you using Google? They're like, what does Google give me as a business? Nothing. I'm not the top plumber and I can't even be the top plumber in Google, even if I wanted to be. So they're not abandoning Quora. Nobody's abandoning Quora because they've invested so heavily in it and uh, and it works. And you get humans can give better answers than, uh, you know, Google's algorithm of links can. So it's a fantastic system. That's why we did Mahalo Answers, by the way. The problem was you have to care- very carefully curate the cut out all of the crap, which is very, very difficult to do as we talk about curation in here regularly. And so when when we opened the floodgates and let the mass idiots into the platform, it died instantly because the smart people leave instantly as soon as you get, you know, all of this Yahoo answers nonsense of, you know, YouTube commenters. And so it it, it died very quickly. And so when we pivoted into doing YouTube video production, kind of becoming the largest YouTube video creator, and then when I saw Cora launch, they were in the Bay Area and I had friends in common. So I reached out to Adam and Charlie and said, hey, be careful. Don't open your thing up to the masses because you're going to you'll die instantly because that's what happened to us. Because Yahoo Answers and Cora were essentially identical, although they came after us. And then uh, so they've been very careful. They did open it very briefly for 24 hours and then they saw what happened they were they knew it would happen so then they closed <laughs> they closed it back up after 24 hours and effectively uh, kind of muted those uh, accounts that were of low quality and it's a tremendous struggle in America uh, to do this in Korea I think because Korea as you know if you follow us every day they're unique in that they had you had to have verified accounts in Korea to participate on social networks Hence, the quality was much higher because you're not idiots are less likely to speak idiotically when everyone knows who they are and their verified, uh, you know, identity is part of their answer. So that's why Quora could work in Korea, but nowhere else. And it won't work in America because you've got just endless mobs of idiots with fake names and fake photos, maybe leaving intentionally stupid comments. So 
it's um, a real challenge in the U.S. But now that identity verification is coming into play in the, in the inevitable near future, maybe it's time to revisit that whole idea. And Google is deathly afraid that somebody's going to do neighbor in America, although we now know it's not possible because of for the reasons I'm laying out now. But with identity verification coming into play, maybe it's time to revisit that idea. So, Adam, by the way, Adam D'Angelo and I spoke two years ago about using genetics to identify people's intelligence as a way of having them up upload their 23andMe and Ancestry. And then you could basically filter by IQ on Quora. And um, went, all, you know, went all the way up to his board, but that sort of freaked people out. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but that, that's what's coming. I mean, just to be, to be clear about it, like as the polygenic scores get better, and, you know, out of the UK Biobank and elsewhere, you know, filtering on the basis of IQ is, is basically where things are going to go um, on a lot of these platforms. Eugenics was never properly refuted during or even after World War II. Many of the people essentially that create a lot of the doctrines that led to a lot of the atrocities basically went on to create a lot of other fields of human endeavor. We never really, frankly put, had the public debate around it. We just kind of brushed it under the rug. It is something that with the newer genetic techniques with CRISPR and other things, and we're starting to talk about profiling other aspects, it is something that's going to come back more to the surface as people are basically, you know, asking all these questions again. So that it'd be interesting to have some spin-off rooms about that sometime. Well, there are lots of people, as you know, who um, always want really dumb sperm donors. That's something that women look to a lot is just really dumb sperm donors. Very important. Something they seek. Right, right. I mean, I think that's basically we can all assume that that's true. Sperm and uh, do sperm banks typically uh, do IQ tests? Yes, they do pedigree tests, which is IQ tests. Right, and then the that's one of the variables that the women can that that data is visible to the women, and they can choose based on IQ level essentially. Depends on the country and depends on the type of sperm bank, but essentially that's the number one. It seems to be the number one criteria. That and height are the seem to be the number the number one and number two criteria that women use when selecting sperm banks. There's also eye color, hair color. That's also fairly common. Um, for those who are interested, like there's a lot of research on in vitro fertilization here that uh, that is quite compelling. And uh, you know, there's startups like Genomic Prediction, which is based in New Jersey, and others that are sort of coming up that are offering to rank embryos for people doing in vitro fertilization on these kind of criteria as, as genetic testing gets more and more common and more commonplace. And in some countries, of course, that it, like Israel, for instance, um, in vitro fertilization is paid for by the state, uh, guaranteeing up to two births. So, uh, you know, as, as you're kind of trying to increase your, your birth rate, you know, obviously you don't want to just increase, you don't want to live in idiocracy, right? Like that, that's sort of not good. So, Charles, um, Charles, stupid yeah. question. Um, in, in terms of, for example, someone going to college and be, being the perfect A student, right? And then coming out and being a flop entrepreneur, how does IQ correlate with you being a successful a success in life? I mean, how would well, that correlate? Behavior, intelligence, and personality are all highly heritable. And I would argue, you know, and others have argued that they're, you know, you can have very brilliant schizophrenics. You know, um, many of us know, you know, very intelligent people who have manic depression or have other other sort of psychological issues. So intelligence is not the only predictor, but it's it's a very good predictor for for lifetime kind of success. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of you know discussion about psychometrics literature. Uh, for those who are interested, there's a great book called Intelligence: A Short History. 
which is quite a short book on this. And there's a lot of discussions on, on this sort of thing. Um, you know, I'm not a IQ supremacist. But it's, it's, or definitely, it's, definitely not, it's definitely not the perfect correlation, right? It's certainly not. Uh, and certainly, you know, uh, it seems to be a lot of evidence that uh, IQ plus openness to risk-taking, which is a personality trait, seem to be uh, determinant of a lot of people's outcomes. I mean, one could look at somebody like an Elon Musk as, as an example of that sort of thing, somebody who takes great risks and is, is highly intelligent, but, but not, uh, not, not, you know, certainly not like Einstein level intelligent. Okay, I have a brief thing. I'll keep this under 60 seconds. Um, these ideas were very common and popular pre-World War II. Essentially, every country had active eugenics programs for breeding. Um, uh, during the Holocaust and a lot of things that these basic programs were used for in many countries, including USA, um, essentially caused a great deal of harm. And these were literally foundations for genocide. After World War II, a lot of these things were rebranded. One of the things, differentiations was made between negative eugenics and positive eugenics, with the idea of saying we should have more positive things for like marriage counseling, uh, things that were leading to essentially more uh, selection breeding, uh, things that essentially more population studies, et cetera. Frederick Osborne was one of the main proponents of the rebranding effort. Um, I strongly recommend looking him up. One of the key terms that he coined, it was actually, uh, is it him or the other Osborne, I get them confused sometimes, was actually transhumanism was one of the main offshoots. Um, and this basically became a foundation for many of the ideas for basically augmenting human beings' capabilities as opposed to essentially going explicitly from genetic uh, uh, germline uh, alterations. Uh, it's something that has been a dominant theme in a very large number of industries as a castling in the background. But as we, as I brought before, we're going to be entering these issues much more explicitly in the near future. So it's something to be aware of. Okay. So into the interesting headlines, Virgin Galactic reopens ticket sales at 450,000 per seat on the heels of Branson's flight seat tickets open back up. The <coughs> Tabby is an AI camera app that reveals your cat's mood. So it looks at your cat's face in real time through your camera, uh, through the app, but it's, you know, it's a camera like app. Tabby is a new AI-powered smartphone camera app that can decode your cat's mood with a photo, revealing whether it's happy or in pain. For those of you who, you know, have Asperger's or have a hard time telling if an animal is happy or not, that could be very useful, I guess, for some people. Uh, Olympians can finally earn their own money on social media, now allowed to promote on social media, hence next into social commerce, probably. Yeah, very. You could sell your. I wonder if you could sell your uniforms and even your actual gold medal. How much would a gold medal sell for, by the way? Maybe they can sell their stinky shoes. Yeah, well, certainly in Japan they could before they leave. There's a huge market for that. What about, if, what about their DNA? Is that for sale? Oh my God! <laughs> well, first of, they'll be giving it away for free when they arrive at the Beijing airport for next year for the Winter Games. Next year. Um. That's that's a wild idea. Uh, that's that's a startup waiting to happen, like a super superior uh, DNA bank or kind of like a sperm bank. Um, has any yeah has anyone been able to do IVF on not sperm but just based on DNA? There's a great there's a great movie about the genius sperm bank that was started by this guy in San Diego, where he went around asking Nobel Prize winners if they would donate to it, and. It did I, not as far end as I recall, well, if I remember right. Yeah, it did not end well, though a lot of the techniques that come from that have been used and adopted by other sperm banks. Uh, William Shockley, of course, was 
one of the people who admitted to participating in it, though, so I think there were 138, uh, you know, children that came out of the sperm bank and the documentary that came out a few years back was actually pretty good on this. And, you know, a lot of the, the kids went on and did some interesting stuff, but of course the quality control, uh, wasn't as good as, uh, we, we might like, but obviously that a lot of that's changed in the, in the, Okay. Next headline is not a, or it's a tweet, really fantastic tweet. Somebody found a chart of all of the top vertical takeoff and landing companies, um, air mobility as the space is called and ranks them based on their viability, the vehicle type, the type of operation, whether or not it's piloted or autonomous. And they rank the top as Ehang. They give it a score of 7.9. It's a multi-copter autonomous. And then they got Jobby Aviation tied at top for the number one spot with a 7.9 score. Vectored Thrust uh, piloted. And then Beta Technologies, Embracer, Saberwing, Whisk, Hyundai, Volocopter, Airbus, Bell, Pipistrel, Vertical Aerospace, Elroy, and Lilium. And they give Lilium a rather low score of relatively on this list out of the top 12 that they have here. Uh, they give it a 5.5. It's piloted. So Ehang is now on my to-do list to check out because it's autonomous. And they Tyler, yeah. which one? Which one got the DHL contract? I don't know. Um, no, right. I, I re, yeah, we just read that yesterday. Which one was that? I don't read Elroy. I think. Well, I, I know there's. Um, I know Lilium got the one uh, billion dollar commercial airliner contract, but I don't know which one. Got DHL, the DHL autonomous, uh, just drone. DHL drone. I can do it right here. Uh, Ehang. DHL and Ehang jointly launched AAV delivery solution. So it's the, the one that was ranked number one anyways. Amazon is going to close their drone business, right? No. There was a headline in the past few days that somebody noticed that or is claiming that Amazon in the UK, which is not... <laughs> uh, uh, where they they say that about a hundred team members uh, had kind of fallen out of the drone team in the UK, which I have to imagine they're doing it. And and the quotes from the people leaving was that the project was um, just a complete utter mismanagement. That they didn't none of and the people that left that they that were quoted. So we could let's find the article and read it. But essentially. The, they weren't criticizing the technical viability of the program. They were criticizing the management of the program, that it was inept, that it was mismanaged. They weren't letting them go to the Amazon enough. Something like that, you know. So, um, but that's, we don't know how many, we don't know how in what locations Amazon's testing this or what the different team sizes are around the world. Or we can't summarize that Amazon's ending drone, you know, uh, D development and research b based on that headline. So um, the next interesting tweet at this moment is uh, from Evan that driverless semi reaches milestone in test startup says. And then this is an interesting one uh, from Futurism. U.S. spies have obtained genetic data treasure trove from Wuhan lab. 
U.S. intelligence has gained access to what CNN is calling a treasure trove of genetic data that could be key to uncovering the origins of the coronavirus. From the Wuhan Why are we hearing about it now? You're welcome. <laughs> because the why are we hearing about it now? Well, generally because spies don't reveal that they've the real the bigger question. Yeah. Why are we hearing about it now? It's the more interesting question is why is the U.S. letting it be known that U.S. spies have obtained a genetic data trove from the Wuhan lab? To, it wasn't the U.S. It wasn't the U.S. that did it. It was another of the five eyes. OK, the CNN is reporting that it was U.S. spies. Sure. Yeah. CNN. Yeah. So the question is, why would if it's if it's if it's an intelligence agency that acquired the data, then some um, one of those governments has essentially approved for that data to become public. And why would they do that? That's the more interesting no, question. It was stolen. It was oh, stolen. It was stolen. Interesting. Okay. Come on, Charles. Out with it. Who was it? Sounds like I mean. I would pay very close attention to our British friends on genetic matters because they were the ones, if you read the Nick Wade piece, so Nick Wade, formerly science, you know, correspondent for New York Times, wrote a piece on Medium a while back that was highly, highly reviewed. And I would look very closely at our British friends on the genetics questions and the genetic underpinnings of the coronavirus. And that's all I'm going to say about that on this Chinese app. Okay. California's farmers face unprecedented water restrictions. The state water board moved to stop some Central Valley farmers from irrigating their crops with water diverted from rivers and streams. So California is a food exporter, but not anymore because the farmers don't have water to make the crops. It's a desert. It's a natural desert. Um... Alcohol linked to more cancers than previously thought, according to The Guardian, or according to a study that The Guardian is reporting. Imperial College London researchers also find that drinking coffee protects against liver cancer, but that alcohol uh, linked to more cancers than previously thought. And from Euronews, anti-vaxxers pretend to be vegan to avoid getting the COVID-19 vaccine, as people fake that they are ethical vegans to avoid the COVID-19 vaccine Animal rights activists say everyone eligible should be vaccinated. And is there some animal protein or something in the vaccine? I wasn't aware. Have any of you been into some of the anti-vaccine rooms or, in, on Clubhouse? They... No, don't go there. You'll catch herpes and they'll follow you as followers. <laughs> you should hear some of the stuff they're saying in there. But maybe it's because they do animal testing on it, or what? What's the argument about veganism and, and anti-vaccine? What they're saying in the anti-vaccine rooms is this pig pig crap in 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 the uh, in the vaccine and a whole bunch of other stuff. Most most vaccines most um, vaccines use pig cells as the um, original um, genetic material at which you inject the um, DNA or RNA. So that's that's how they started making insulin. A long, long time ago, they took a pig cell, human insulin, and it just replicated in the pig. I mean, the alternative is what eggs, uh, eggs from chickens or cows with stuff. You want something that's close enough that you don't want the alternative. It's you don't want the alternative. It's called human. um, It's basically aborted fetal cells of human beings. 
So the COVID-19 vaccines made by Pfizer, BioNTech, AstraZeneca, and Moderna that have been approved for the use in the UK do not contain any animal-derived ingredients, although animal-derived materials may have been used in the production process. That's, that's the detail on that article. And then a French fund manager unveils an EU-regulated Bitcoin ETF. Is this official? Does it have a ticker that we can now buy Bitcoin through this French ETF? Vraz, do you happen to know? It's on Bloomberg. Yeah. It should be official. Yeah. But so I, 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 don't have the, I don't have the ticker, though. Paris-based alternative investment manager Melanion. 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 What a weird name. Received regulatory approval for an exchange-traded fund, which is an ETF seeking to track the Bitcoin price and which satisfies EU rules. But it doesn't even list the ticker in this article. So that's not very helpful. Okay. Next one is um, NASA astronauts react to spiders on the International Space Station. And, and an instinctive reaction to creepy crawlies doesn't go away when you're in space. There's been some... Unusual sights on the ISS. Elvis, a gorilla suit. Snakes on a plane. Yeah. Spiders free floating around the ISS. Uh, NASA. Spiders in space. NASA astronaut and current ISS crew member Megan MacArthur shared that what might be considered a space shower thought on Thursday. It's all about how she in instinctively sees spiders in random tiny objects. She tweeted. Is it weird that after 100 days on the space station, when I see a small piece of lint or food float by, my body still reacts like spider? Exclamation point. A split second before my brain can chime in with relax, you're in space. <laughs> so, so. Okay, I'm seeing something we need to do on future space missions. We need to just flood the entire compartment with lots and lots of adorable spiders. The same thing did it with ants. I mean, sure, why not? loosen the compartment it'll be great it'll be quite some entertaining videos so they spin and then uh the decrypt article somebody sent in biden deals blow to crypto industry backs planned attacks proof of stake the senate had two very different amendments to choose from biden back the one targeted proof of stake and uh, a final vote on the amendment is now, expected to that just came out around two three hours ago uh-huh that just came out around two three hours ago the biden administration backed a tax amendment that appears to target the DeFi sector, a final a final vote on the amendment is expected Tuesday, according to Decrypt. So um, other fantastic articles that anyone wants to jump into? I've got a whole bunch here. So let, let's do it like this. Hold on. Amazon's drone delivery team collapsing. Uh, Tomoko found five minutes ago the article you wanted, Cheryl where it talks about the Amazon Prime Air team in the UK, which was supposed to pioneer the company's global drone efforts, has descended into organized chaos and collapsing over 100 workers, although we don't know how many there were in total. Amazon Prime's Air team in the UK, which was supposed to pioneer the company's global drone, descending into organized chaos in the years following its high-profile 2016 launch. So it's a five-year-old program. The team has been working on particularly thorny tasks, creating drones that can autonomously land outside of a customer's houses or apartment buildings and leave packages unscathed. The company has said that the technology would allow 
orders to reach customers in 30 minutes or less. The project was allegedly stymied starting in 2019 by a near constant churn of managers and employees, resulting in many people with little technical knowledge of drones or AI being given positions of authority. Several managers knew so little about their work that they couldn't answer basic questions from the people they were supposed to supervise. And one employee was seen drinking beer at their desk in the morning, according to Wired. (laughs) The frequent turnover and chaotic environment pushed more experienced workers out like rats off a sinking ship, one employee told the magazine. In a statement to the Post, an Amazon spokesperson said the company recently made organizational changes in our primary business and and were able to find positions for affected employees in other areas where we were hiring. Prime Air continues to have employees in the UK and will continue growing in the presence of the region, the spokesperson said. Amazon's focused, Amazon focused its drone program in the UK partially because the country granted the company clearance to conduct test flights in 2016. In 2020, the FAA in the US officially gave Amazon similar clearance, but FAA regulations do not currently allow for completely autonomous flights. So even if Amazon were to finish developing its primary technology, the company would have to convince the FAA to change its rules to deploy it on a commercial scale. When I was there with Prime Air, I was already years from, it was years from being a thing, one former employee told Wired, but it's never going to get off the ground. No pun intended. Although Google's Drone team seems to be doing quite well with drone deliveries, which are commercial and happening in many parts of the world at the moment. So sounds like incompetence at the managerial level. And thank you for that, uh, Tomiko. And the next headline is NASCAR partners with Zed Run in Metaverse Chase. It's a um, Zed Run is a digital horse blockchain gambling, essentially where you can bet on digital horses. You don't, we don't longer need, if you, if you like betting on the ponies, you can bet on virtual ponies on a blockchain. So you no longer have to put the horses through the, the wherewithal of uh, running around the track. And then um, the next big one is that Binance to bring Bitcoin payments to Shopify. Interesting. Via new partnership. Binance has partnered with crypto fiat hybrid payment platform Alchemy Pay to unlock crypto payments for over 2 million global. That could be quite interesting. Um, And Apple places a female engineer program manager on administrative leave after tweeting about sexism in the office. And it's a really odd story of of an Apple team member named Ashley who thought she felt she was being... um, dealing with sexism uh, from a superior, her, one of her managers uh, at Apple. And she sent it to the authorities inside of Apple who said, this is, there's no problem with what this, your boss told you. And so she said, ah, okay, well then if it's no problem, then I can make it public. And according to her own tweet, where I'm, I'm quoting her on Twitter now, where it says, wanted to share. Apple employee relations confirmed this tone policing is totally okay feedback for me to get from my big tech male leaders and is not sexist. And she made hashtags out of all of these tone policing, big tech, male and sexist. As this investigation rolls on, I've decided to start tweeting the stuff they say is okay. I mean, they did say it was okay. No, they said that 
the conversation you're having with your boss is okay. They didn't say it's okay to share it publicly. Uh, and by the way, none of your communications with your bosses are okay to share publicly, Ashley, whether, whether or not you think they're sexist. Um, is she doing a career suicide? Yes. It's, yes, in public. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's now going to become completely unemployable by all tech companies, is what she's going to find out very soon. So in today's Apple employee, so the, the thing that she tweeted was a screenshot of her um, iMessage conversation with her boss. And her boss says to her through iMessage, feedback on the presentation today. I was specifically looking for tone. You did great. I didn't hear you go up an octave at the end of your statements came across as much more authoritative. It's super refreshing to provide feedback and then see you attempt to act upon it. Thank you. And so she, What's wrong with that? that's what Apple wants to know. Oh, Apple said, well, she thinks that that she's again, her, her tweet says wanted to share Apple employee relations confirmed this tone policing is totally okay. Uh, okay. Feedback for me to get from my big tech male leaders and not sexist. So she thinks it's sexist and, and tone policing from her big tech male is leaders. That, how, how common is that word tone policing? I, don't, I hate to sound so ignorant, but it might be the first time I've ever encountered it. No, I haven't, I've seen that. But anyway. anyway. The, basic okay. issue, the basic issue is uh, for a lot of, you know, the, the basic argument seems to be that uh, because her male boss told her to speak more authoritatively, uh, that she sees that as an indication that that speaking up, up talking is like somehow bad and so she's trying to shame her boss and take a private comments that was made to her to try to be more supportive apparently and she's sort of taking that out to the larger community and uh, that's just really dumb so you know i i guess we'll see what happens here but i don't i don't think she has a job for like a week later i'd be shocked if she does um this happened to me at Apple too. The and she's saying she has unsafe work conditions now, and so it seems we'll, we'll see what happens. Probably an on, ongoing story. No doubt we'll see something. Um, the conclusion of that drama in the near future. Uh, Sarcos Robotics and T-Mobile team up to integrate five G into. Um, industrial robot capable of performing highly dexterous tasks in hazardous conditions. <clears throat> so you, I just tweeted that one out from Faraz, and you can see this robot out, outdoors, um, a 5G-powered industrial robot capable of performing highly dexterous tasks in hazardous conditions. The next one's from Renjanth. Micromobility startup Voy raises $45 million. Wow. That's a the little scooter startup based out of Stockholm, kind of like Bird in Santa Monica or um, what's the green one called that Google invested in? Little micro mobility scooters, those little battery powered scooters that you see all over Europe and, and less so in the US. But so Voy is the one from Stockholm. They just raised another 45 million to. It's not Waymo, right? No, Waymo is the car's. Lime is the one that Google invested in, Lime scooters. Anyway, it says, funds, it says, will be used to research and develop technology that will improve safety. And by, yeah, we covered the Biden deal. Um, mind tickles India's 20th unicorn of 2021, as SoftBank uh, 
uh, invest 100 million. China Telecom seeks 7.3 billion in world's top listing of 2021. China Telecom, one of the three mainland telecom carriers, booted off the New York Stock Exchange is planning to raise uh, 7.3 billion in, in a new IPO, no doubt, in, not in the US. India's Supreme Court rules in favor of Amazon to stall a $3.4 billion future and reliance deal. India's Apex Court on Friday ruled in favor of Amazon to stall the sale of Future Group to Reliance Industries in a major victory for Amazon. And Vinay or one of the somebody from India can comment on the details behind that. Yes, please. Someone. Uh, we have a lot. Of, I think our Indian friends are hiding in the audience. Normally, there's always one on stage. Rileja, you there? Where's Vinay when you need him? Ah, oh, here's, well, maybe Krishna might know. And who else might? Oh, there's Vinay. Someone winning against Reliance is a big deal. Yeah, Vinay just joined. <laughs> so he'll, he'll no doubt know what this is about. Vinay, we just read the headline that... Uh, India's court on Friday ruled in favor of Amazon to stall the sale of Future Group to Reliance, which is a major win for Amazon. Can can you give us the cultural context on that? Oh, um, so hang on. Sorry, can you guys hear me? I'm yes, having the, the red bar of death. Yep. Uh, yes. Okay. So, so really quickly... Um, Amazon wanted to buy Future Group retail, and they went up. Uh, they they had signed up all the terms of the agreement, etc. Reliance then made a bigger offer to Future Group, and Future Group said, "We want to go with Reliance." Uh, almost like a, a pre-hostile takeover. Amazon said, eh, "No, not done. We we had the original deal. You can't stop us." That went to court. And uh, looks like Amazon's come out because their deal stands. Oh, so that's a big deal for Amazon, yeah. And it says Future Retail or Future Group operates 1,700 retail stores across 400 Indian cities. So it's quite the, that would be a big asset for Amazon or Reliance to have. So I, you can, it's understandable why they're fighting over it. And the re, Reliance Retail said a year ago it had reached an agreement with Future Group to acquire the retail and wholesaler business, as well as its logistics and warehousing business for $3.4 billion. Amazon, which had invested in one of Future Group's units, accused the Indian firm Reliance of violating its... Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, they accused Future Group of violating its contract and re reached the Singapore arbitrator to halt the deal. Amazon's deal with Future Retail had given Amazon e-commerce giant the first right to refusal on purchase of more stakes in future retail. There it is. You got to read your contracts, folks. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting because everyone keeps talking about how Mukesh Ambani Reliance is the gorilla. They can never lose. They, they get their way in everything. But when it often gets to the courts, they do lose. <laughs> and yeah, well, here's an example. I mean, this makes it perfectly clear in this uh, article I'm reading where if um, Amazon which invested in one of Future Group's units. And in that contract, it says we have a first uh, right of refusal on purchase of more stakes in Future Group. Well, then you, when you go to sell it, you have to give Amazon the first choice to buy it. And so the court held, uh, upheld that obvious. That's, that's, 
that's a no-brainer. So, okay. Smart move by Amazon. Well, there's, there's, there's this next news. Um, I don't know the details, but the, the CEO who works in this food company, in the plant-based food company, uh, was saying to me that um, there's this strategy that's going on where um, we've got, say, Tilda, uh, which is uh, a, quite a large company or owned by a larger company, and they're buying out all the um, um, smaller Indian food companies that's like spices and uh, other kind of snacks and things. And uh, and that generally those kind of companies also uh, have bought out land because they kind of need it in volume. Um, and so this company that they thought they're selling to Tilda actually is um, is is not well is 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 owned by another company which is uh, from the west so this goes back to and so we got this kind of takeover of um, of these smaller companies that end up having like um, land um, and farmland in india or in mexico or, in, or any other around places around the world being taken over and there's this and i think you, a lot of this farming issues coming back to this method of working but um uh, I can't remember at the top of my head all the different small companies that have been bought, but that that then also have um, farmland and farmers, and uh, so it's quite it's quite as in um, insightful strategy as to the takeover and which way it's happening. Okay, thank you. Very yeah, much. I, I, sorry, and Tyler, and just the big thing because a lot of the sectors in India are very very unorganized, very fragmented, and what's been happening in the last couple of years with the bigger companies, with like the Amazons or other global companies, Danone, they're coming in and they're trying to organize the sector. So this is that little friction between the small players and the big players and the acquisitions. So this is going to play out a bit more over the next couple of years. You'll see more of these kinds of cases. Okay. So um, the, the next headline here is Duolingo pulled from Chinese app stores as education crackdown spreads. Uh, overseas-based language learning apps, including Duolingo, Memrise, and Bilingual app have disappeared from some Android app stores in China amid the crackdown on EdTech because they're not nonprofits. And that's unfortunate for Duolingo, uh, particularly. They just IPO'd, um, and now they, gotta, they don't have the Chinese market because uh, they're an English learning app. That could have been huge for them. So the next one is from Poppy and others sent this one in from Slate. The title is, what if facial recognition technology were in everybody's hands? Increasingly ubiquitous facial recognition technology will enable us to identify one another as we walk down the street or mingle in the crowd. And uh, a bit of the, the first few paragraphs here, it says, we know we are not anonymous online. Um, our every move in the digital sphere is tracked, collected, analyzed. It's all fascinating to our spies. We know our identity at every step. They can pinpoint us by way we write our emails, use the mouse on our computer screens, or even how we hold or swipe our cell phones. And what they're referring to is kind of the bio identity. Uh, people, you can be identified by the way you click on a keyboard. It's a startup in Sweden called uh, Behaviosec, and there's others. And then this even being reported that you can be identified by the way you move your mouse. And so online, it's known who you are uh, just by how you click on the keyboards. 
So this is uh, soon. We may not be anonymous in public either. Increasingly ubiquitous facial recognition technology used not just by law enforcement, but by companies and even individuals will enable us to identify one another as we walk down the street or mingle in the crowd. That is the world that Clearview AI, amongst others, will make possible. Clearview has famously and controversially assembled a vast database scraped from the web that lets it identify millions of people, perhaps including you. Law enforcement is enthusiastic about the capabilities afforded by Clearview. The technology can help track possible offenders from the mere snippet of a photograph. In one notable case, police sought to determine the identity of a man from a picture in a Syrian user's account documenting child sex abuse. When they ran the image through Clearview's database, they found a curious match, an Instagram photo featuring bodybuilders at an expo in Las Vegas. None of the people in the foreground matched the suspect lurking far in the background. However, at the edge of the photo's frame, they found the man that, and Clearview supplied his identity. In this picture, the man's image was tiny, half as big as your fingernail. That's all it took for Clearview to point the suspect across its database of 3 billion images. Unsurprisingly, there are several legal challenges against Clearview. The company is subject to complaints from European privacy and digital rights groups. Authorities in the UK and Australia are exploring taking action against the company. And Canada's Privacy Commission has already determined that Clearview's face scraping is illegal and creates a system that inflicts broad-based harm on all members of society and who find themselves continually in police lineup. Uh, presumably because the database runs through every person's face in a given search. The U.S. has notably slower, has been notably slower to challenge Clearview. This exception is Illinois, where the ACLU is suing the company for violating the state's Biometric Privacy Act. There is reason to doubt that said challenges will get very far on these shores, given the relative power of tech lobbies, which have thus far blocked federal private privacy regulations and police unions, which de demand the the help of such technology, especially in the current upsurge in crime. As the saying goes, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. In that case, we may have little choice but to contend with the possibility that Clearview could significantly alter daily life for the rest of us in strange and surprising ways. Armed with a stranger's identity, supplied by Clearview, you could do a search and uncover intimate alarming information about them on the spot, especially if they have been forthcoming on social media, as many of us are, and Facebook lists their affiliations, proclivities, and tastes. You could draw conclusions on their finances based on their alma mater, zip code, and profession, or their bankruptcy records, whether they are divorced or have been arrested. Until recently, such results for a childhood friend of mine, now CEO of a local company, featured his adoption records. So what do we think of a world where, is, is this even being considered though, that Clearview might make their app open to the public, Charles? Uh, no, it's not being considered, but it is a nice idea. It's something that I favor for what it's worth, oh. uh, though I have lost that debate internal to Clearview. Why, why is this a journalist, uh, Furman... Deborah Bander also writing and yeah, well, he's well, they're framing it as if this, this might be a possibility, but it doesn't seem like it is. Well, it's complicated, right? So, so AnyVision and SenseTime and others are, like are doing versions of this, and uh, and if I had my others, you know, every responsible adult in 
the world would have would have Clearview on their phones, uh, using it as they see fit, and um, and I think ultimately that's what's going to happen. So so you know, let's steal the man this guy's argument. I would just say you know, in the Illinois case, you know, what's happening in that case is actually the ACLU is being funded by Google and Facebook to actually come after Clearview. Uh, because would, they don't it would hurt, like it would hurt Facebook they... tre- tremendously. Yeah, because everyone would make all of their accounts Correct. private. Yeah. yeah, and just to be very clear about this, like, yeah, just to be very clear about this, like, I, I hate Facebook. I've hated Mark Zuckerberg since I met him when I was sixteen, and um, and I don't like what he's doing to the world, and I don't like ad-supported social networks because I think they're causing all sorts of problems. So I do believe that you know governments should have the power to know who's coming and going. Um, And I do think this idea of a perpetual lineup is silly uh, because, you know, as opposed to a current system where the police mistakenly being humans, they make mistakes, they get people wrongly in jail. Uh, I don't you know, I don't support, um, you know, this being the only tool to be used. I don't support real time facial recognition like, you know, you're walking around or what have you. But uh, and you're being identified, but I do. I would say, you know, there's a case, a most recent case, of um, a sort of boyfriend girlfriend team that was lighting on fire a bunch of uh, people, you know, people's property in Minnesota, and they they eventually got arrested in Mexico uh, because of facial recognition down in Mexico, and uh, and so you know, I think a lot of people who've been victims of crime. You know, crime is, as it mentions, on the upswing around around, you know, basically the West. And uh, yeah, I've been to London. I'm going to go in London and I guess, you know, a few days time. And, you know, there are cameras everywhere. I feel perfectly safe. Um, you know, so I just think I think a lot of this histrionics is a bit is a bit much. But, you know, reasonable opinions can can differ. And obviously I'm conflicted on this because I helped create the company. Um, but, yeah, anyway, that that's sort of, you know. I have no problem with people disliking facial recognition. If I could push a button and delete it from the world, I would probably do that just because it would be nicer if we were all nicer to each other. But I would also eliminate, you know, handguns and nuclear weapons and all kinds of other goodies that are out there in the world. Um, So anyway, that's sort of how I think about it for what it's worth. Oh, and by the way, this is a college professor. He's not really a journalist. So he's even he's even worse than journalists. Yeah, I'm just wondering why he's implying that we will uh, in, in the, you know, this is something we'll need to contemplate because it doesn't seem. Um... Well, I mean, good. I mean, like, in fairness, like, you know, people have ring cameras right on their uh, and, you know, you can go to your local law enforcement if you're you know, subject to some sort of crime and you can get them to run Clearview on it, um, which people have done now on several cases. And, um, you know, there have been talks of different tech companies acquiring Clearview, uh, which continue. And, um, you know, there's the other issue, of course, law enforcement has the problem with Clearview insofar as it can be used to identify uh, undercovers. Uh, other countries don't like Clearview because it helps identify their spies, like a January 6th event. So, you know, there's um, how to put this. There's a, a wild time going on on all these different technologies because they are making modern day espionage much more difficult and they're moving it from physical surveillance work to breaking into people's phones and other forms of communication. Um, so that, that's just a very different, different kind of kettle of fish as it were. Anyway. Okay. So that takes us to the, I uh, just passed the top of the hour. 
And I and my apologies for not getting through 99% of the tweets that people have sent in over the past 24 hours. But we will when we get back here in six hours. So it's time for our scheduled Subway sandwich break. Uh, go get yourself a tasty footlong. Uh, I recommend the tuna on the honey oat wheat. And um, and I hope you enjoy your, your the official Subway sandwich break of the day. I don't care what it's made out of. I'll eat that shit. Eat <laughs> 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 shit. Go get yourself Thank a foot you. long, everybody. We'll see you in six hours. Take yep. care, everybody. See you guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Ty. Bye.